Hello and welcome to Canvas, your podcast that unframes art and ideas. My name is Aisha Ash, I'm the host of Canvas, and I am recording today on beautiful Gadigal land. In today's episode, we are joined by Jazz Money, an award-winning poet of Wiradjuri heritage, a freshwater woman currently based on beautiful, sovereign Gadigal land. In this episode, we cover a lot, writing as a form of self-expression, the challenge of balancing poetry as a medium for self-expression and vulnerability, activism, the way that Jazz uses her voice to share things that she thinks need to be amplified, and what Jazz has been working on, including her recently released debut collection of poetry, How to Make a Basket. My name is Jazz Money. I am a Wiradjuri woman living on Gadigal land, but I work as like a poet and an artist and a filmmaker. I, I don't really know like how those jobs come together, but that is seemingly how I spend my time. Hello, Jazz Money. <laughs> Hello, Aisha Ash. How are you? I'm very well. How are you? I'm good. It's so nice to have you in here on the other side of the microphone because many people may know this or may not know this, but you used to be one of our fabulous researchers for Canvas. A dream job, really. Yeah. How long were you with us for? Like a year? Yeah, something like that. It was a COVID year, so I feel like it could have been longer, it could have been shorter. Yeah. But it was great. It was just entirely over the screen. And did film come first for you? Yeah, I studied film straight out of school. Yeah. And I loved the craft, but I realised pretty quickly that I actually had nothing to say because I was 18. <laughs> <laughs> so I left this, like, left film school, but kept kind of working in the industry doing tech stuff mm-hmm. and have dipped in and out of it over time. But it's I love it as a form, so I keep yeah. coming back to it. And then where did the writing stem from? Have you always written? Like as a kid, was it one of your dreams to be a writer or...? Um, I always loved reading, mm. but writing, I I grew up regionally and like being a writer wasn't really something that I think I thought was a job, mm. particularly poetry. <laughs> but I, I really started writing maybe like five or six years ago because I was just really confused and I was like, I started writing to try and figure out what was making me confused and anxious and how I could sort of sort myself out. And poetry was just the the form that came naturally to me because I'm not very good at grammar or spelling. (laughs) (laughs) I don't believe that because you've just written a book. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, but other people did the copy editing. All the spelling was a mess. (laughs) I want to know about your book, How to Make a Basket, because obviously I want to know about all the creative stuff, but I also want to know about all the logistical things because getting a book published and literally printed in a tangible format as a book that you can put on a shelf or buy in a shop, that is out of my sphere of knowledge or comprehension. So how did this come about? The prize that I won in 2020 was the David Unai Pon Award from the State Library of Queensland, which is essentially a manuscript prize. I submitted something that I really, 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 really didn't think I would win. I just wanted someone to read my book. Wow. (laughs) And tell me why it why it was rubbish it ended up winning which was quite wild and then yeah it was just a straight line through to getting published with UQP and working with Ellen Van Nieven as the editor and I am the same as you I have no idea how books get published (laughs) I went through this very smooth like I was kind of nestled like some sort of baby on a leaf getting like laid down into a little creek it was it was very easy for me good Um, other folk I think are a lot more 
tenacious. And what was the process of you writing this this book of poems? Because they're super personal and I'm sure that's confronting and maybe like a bit exhilarating but also a bit scary to have it out there and to have your name on it and like no way I can hide from this. Like, people know this is me. I had so many sleepless nights, particularly after I won the award. I was like, I can't put that out into the world. (laughs) Um, But, yeah, like like I was saying before, I wrote a lot of this stuff when I really was just writing for myself Mm. and didn't expect anyone else to ever read it, really didn't want anyone else to ever read it. But then over time, as I sort of became a bit more addicted to writing poetry and then started submitting at places and started having readers and then having that like massive endorphin rush of like being read, I got more confident with putting stuff out. But this manuscript is like a combination of things that I wrote for myself and that I wrote for like my loved ones and then Mm. that I wrote for a broader audience. And so trying to bring them together and make it a book that felt... um, like it had a flow to it, that it wasn't really disjointed and that it didn't feel like it was written across five years. And Wow, it was written across five years. Yeah. That's amazing. <laughs> yeah. And, you know, like I, I can read it and see how many boyfriends and girlfriends feature. Ah. <laughs> uh, oh, my God. Do you call any of them out by name? No, thank God. That's very nice of you, to be honest. That's very – you've rarely taken the high road. Though I did read one back recently and I was like, wow, that is incredibly identifiable. <laughs> like – if that person were to read this book, they would they would feel targeted. <laughs> <laughs> so now do you consciously choose what parts that you want to leave out of your writing in terms of making sure that you're not too exposed or you don't feel too vulnerable or do you kind of just go with the flow and see what comes out? That's a really good question. Um, I think I'm a lot more aware of readers now and I think I've done a, a thing that a lot of creative folk will, <laughs> I'm sure, relate to, which is I've monetized the thing that I love. Mm. And it's no longer a creative outlet for, like, for me for, like, finding things out and being messy and being kind of um, vulnerable in the same way that it used to be. Now it's a lot more of a tool f- as an income, mm. which is – it's really interesting and I feel so grateful to, like, be a writer who can survive off writing. That's – in, like it's so rare <laughs> it feels like a real privilege and it totally is but um I guess all those sort of vulnerable messy things are a bit more absent and I'd love to figure out a way of sort of surrendering to the page in the same way that I used to now I'm a lot more aware of like politics and activism mm. and actually using my voice I don't know to with the knowledge that it w- it might be heard and that yeah. that's a powerful thing and so I don't want to take it lightly but it has meant that I feel like I've receded from the page a bit which Mm. is actually probably totally fine. Yeah that's so interesting do you feel like because you know you do have a voice in a platform that is you know being engaged with and and listened to do you feel like you have a responsibility to talk about some things that would be on your mind anyway but wouldn't usually necessarily come out in your writing? Yeah, I I think often my writing is really serious and mm. I don't think of myself as a particularly serious person. But yeah, like you said, this opportunity to speak about issues that I find important and that I think are being, you know, not spoken about enough, perhaps, uh, who would take that lightly? Like that's such an incredible opportunity, even if it does mean that you end up writing some really heavy, <laughs> heavy stuff from time to time. Yeah. And you do do some lighter, more, you know, 
take you off into lullaby land kind of things. And one of them is a, a podcast called Dreamy by Common Ground. And you wrote something called Billabang. Can you tell us a little bit about that? Yeah, that was a beautiful project. So Common Ground is a First Nations-led organisation that's all about bridging First Nations knowledges with a sort of wider Australian audience. And they contacted me and four other poets to write these stories to help people fall asleep. It was with Snapchat, weirdly, but... um, Wow, that is random. Yeah, Snapchat had identified that young people weren't getting enough sleep. True. And also that they were complicit in that. Um, yeah, because... it's Snapchat's fault. What, are, what is Snapchat talking about? <laughs> so they contacted Common Ground to say, like, we have this issue. Will you help us kind of find a way to put people to sleep? Billa is the Wiradjuri word for river. Billabung is our word for a pool of water. The same word that has been anglicised into Billabong. But Billabung is also the word for our galaxy, our home which you might know as the Milky Way. The sun has gone beyond today's sky, and now is the time for night and resting. Lay down here, stretch out long and lovely, let those eyes go heavy, soft, and close. Become all comfort beneath these kind leaves and loving night. I think it's really lovely. Like, Mm. I hadn't heard of a sleep story before, Mm. but now that I know about them, I see that they're a really beautiful tool because aren't we, like, so programmed as people to fall asleep listening to a story? Yeah, absolutely. It takes you back to those years of childhood, you know, and you ask your parents to read your book after book after book. And my mum always said that I had this one book that my mum hated, so she would make up the story every time, but I always wanted to hear it again and again, and she was like, oh my God, what have I created? So she had to keep on making up this story and had no idea what she was saying. That's beautiful, like a picture book that changes every night. That's so special. It is special, but I think my mum didn't see it as that. (laughs) (laughs) I think she thought, oh my God, what have I been doing? (laughs) As you said earlier, you know, you work through different art forms. And we were talking off air about an exhibition that you are involved in called Eucalyptusdom, which is at the Powerhouse Museum. Can you tell us about the work that you created for that? Yeah, so Eucalyptusdom is a really interesting exhibition that's uh, been pulled together by the Powerhouse as they went through their archives and realised like they just have this massive collection of objects that are made from eucalyptus and one of their founding directors was obsessed with eucalyptus as this like tool of exploitation and extraction and and resource and economy in the early colony. And so I think the powerhouse sort of looked at this collection and were like, oh, this is kind of like skeletons in the closet. Let's Mm. see if we can revisit it and what will come out from engaging artists to kind of look at these stories again and see what sort of new knowledges can be formed. Um, So I made a work that is a poem um, (laughs) that is about... Uh, the trade of eucalyptus seeds and trees beyond Australia. So there was this huge, I mean, I think a lot of people know this, there's a huge weed problem of eucalyptus overseas. Is there? In California. It's one of the big contributors to the bushfires that they have. Yeah. Who took it there? (laughs) (laughs) All these folks thought that it would make this really quick crop. 
um, because it doesn't need a heap of water and because it grows quickly and lo and behold, it also needs fire to regenerate. Oh, my god! <laughs> so they're everywhere. They're in India. Um, Napoleon took them back for Josephine Bonaparte to have in her garden alongside her um, kangaroos and emus. No, <laughs> give the animals back. Do you know what I think people don't realise? Like animals and plants from, from this country are very, very special and need to stay here. They will eat you alive. Like they don't belong in other places. Like California, what are you doing? Well, that's what this work is about. Like it's about this trade beyond our shores simultaneously while we have epic deforestation happening here and Mm. we should be protecting what is native and right and true here rather than exploiting it to places and exporting it to places where it it is a pest and an invasive species and causes all these problems. And I just feel like that is this really weird thing for the spirits of all these trees to comprehend, right? Mm. And for the spirits of this place to comprehend and, like, you know, dream of all their lost Mm. babies that are overseas. Jazz, you recently showed a work in the Fremantle Biennale. Can you tell us about that? It's really cool. It's this giant um, poem that's hanging off a bridge over there. I think it might be Australia's biggest poem. Oh, my God. You need to get in the Guinness Book of World Records. <gasps> True. You should, though. Imagine putting that on your CV. Guinness Book of World Records, Australia's biggest poem. So what is the name of the poem that you have written for that? The poem is called These Words Will Remain. It's in Nyunga and it's in English, so I got it translated by a beautiful um, elder over there, Ani Sandra. And it's about a response to the Yerbal Dogan, which is the Swan River. This is crazy to me. It's a saltwater river now. It used to be a freshwater river, but when the colonists came, they exploded the bridge between (laughs) the ocean and the river and made it a saltwater port. So that's the river that runs through Perth now. And so it's a response to that. It's a response to this colonial intervention that change the waterways but the country is still strong and it's still strong waterways and you know I'm a river person it was really wild learning about these histories and having an opportunity to respond to it absolutely the last question I want to ask you is where can we buy your book you can buy my book from all good independent booksellers because gosh they need the they, they do. It. If we go on your Instagram, can we find the link to buy the book as well? Yeah, yeah. So you can buy it like directly through UQP, who's my publisher, University of Queensland Press. Or, you know, if you're in Sydney, go see Glebe Books or Better Than Dead or any of those cuties who are on little corner stores and sell poetry. Yeah, they're great bookstores as well. I love going into them. And if you're in a bookstore that doesn't have it, ask, ask if them. they can order it in. Yeah, that, that would be really <laughs> great. You will get a Christmas miracle as <laughs> as um, the gift of poetry exactly well thank you so much for chatting it's been so nice to talk to you oh it's been a pleasure it's so lovely to be here thank you for listening to another episode of Canvas unframing art and ideas thank you to Jazz Money for joining us to find out more about the artist featured in this episode scroll down to the show notes this episode was brought to you by our fabulous team, executive producer Michelle Tsao, producer and audio editor Kanika Kerpalani, researcher Elena Zorowski, and me, your host, Aisha Ash. Our intro music was made by Jackie DeLacy. Canvas is an FBI radio podcast. If you like what you're listening to, hit subscribe, leave us a review, and share this podcast with someone you love. Check out our Instagram at canvas underscore 94.5 FBI for more great art content and show updates. Kia paitara, have a good day.